we remain standing, we pray that the Lord's Church would bear witness to his love during these days. Almighty God, who called your Church to bear witness that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, help us to proclaim the good news of your love, that all who hear it during these days may be drawn to you through him who was lifted up on the cross and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, and can be found on page 651 at the front of the Church Bibles. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say on that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for our Gospel reading, which is from John chapter 7, verses 25 to 44, and can be found on page 96 at the back of the Church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. The setting is in the Temple of Jerusalem, where Jesus was attending the uh, Festival of the Tabernacles. Now some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is not this the man whom they are trying to, trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, You know me, And you know where I am from. I am not come on my own, but the one who who sent me is true, and you do not know him. I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed in him, and were saying, When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowds muttering such things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks 
and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will search for me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Prayer before we sit down. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will hear you speak to us through your word, that on hearing we will understand, and in understanding we will believe, and in believing we shall have life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please do sit down. Do you remember the days when you used to visit a thing called a bookshop before you went click, click, click? Oh, it's arrived. Um, I still go to bookshops when I can. There are a few left. In the old days, whenever they were, um, you go into a bookshop, you might find Bibles on the shelf, maybe some hymn books even, books of prayers perhaps. If you go now, it's a very different experience in that section of a bookshop. There may be still some of those books there, but there will be many more books of a vast range of religious and secular spiritualities. A huge range of competing thinking on how to live now, how to think, what to think, and where we're all going, if anywhere. That's some evidence of the challenge that we all now face in our time in making Christian claims in our society. If we look back into John's Gospel, we'll see Jesus was surrounded by those who challenged and came up with other ideas. When we talk about Jesus, we want to say, whoever believes in him has eternal life. We want to remember that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And in his own words, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And we rejoice that our late sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth, died in that belief. Today, you might have a response to trying to talk about things like that as, who are you to tell me uh, what I should listen to? Who are you to tell me what I should believe? Who are you to say what you're saying is true? 
Why should I take any notice, let alone agree with you? There are so many paths to being yourself. Our passage today finds Jesus and the disciples in a period of continuing challenge and hostility. It's been building through the chapters up to this point. There's resistance to Jesus' message. There's a resistance to Jesus. There's puzzlement. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What is this way to eternal life? What is true? In whom can we believe? What about the chief priests and the Pharisees? What about what the rabbi said last week at synagogue? We might call it pushback today, mightn't we? Lots of pushback against Jesus. Back in chapter 5, John records how people got very worked up about the healing on the Sabbath, if you remember that one. You can't do that. It's not allowed. And more importantly, it's never happened before. In chapter 6 of John's Gospel, the presentation of Jesus as the Messiah, the very fulfillment of what had been promised from long ago and repeatedly promised was a shock to some Jews and they were supposed to be waiting eagerly for that very moment. But Jesus did not seem to fit what they were expecting at all. They didn't like what they were hearing. It was too challenging. Some who had been following turned away. Jesus had to question even his own disciples, asking them, do you want to run away from me as well? Is it too hard even for you to hear and understand and believe? But their response rings across the centuries to us. They didn't know everything. We don't know everything. Perhaps they were shaken by the opposition to Jesus, thinking that there wouldn't be any, maybe, or that it was so obvious that people should go with him. Perhaps we feel like that sometimes. They knew they still had much to learn. We know that. And I suspect they had to work quite hard to understand sometimes, and perhaps to accept some of what they heard from Jesus' lips. But nevertheless, they say, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Praise God that we, and our late Queen too, have that same confidence. Whatever challenges we may be facing, Jesus is the Christ. In him is salvation. And for all who will believe, there is life with him in eternity. In our passage, we are in Jerusalem for what was called the Feast of Tabernacles, an annual eight-day harvest festival. All Israel gathered in Jerusalem and they had tents, uh, not from an outdoor shop, but built with branches, a reminder of their wilderness experience in the desert between Egypt and the Promised Land. And a great symbol, um, we have some symbols here today, a great symbol that they were on a journey to somewhere still. The festival used water and light as symbols of God's work and power and also looked forward, that's the journey element, to a wonderful future 
which was explored particularly by the prophet Zechariah. And that's a book it would be good to have a sermon series on sometime. All God's promises will be fulfilled. There will be judgment, but there will be worship. There will be forgiveness, cleansing, restoring and rejoicing. And God's rule will be over the whole world established, revealed, active. So that's quite a setting for Jesus as he faces up to his opposition, whose response to his ministry was not indifference, something we often face today, but a plot to kill him. Verses 25 to 27 take us straight to some irony. People are saying, ah, now, we know where the Messiah is going to be from, and it's not Galilee, is it? And he's from Galilee, so he can't be the Messiah. But you and I and the Apostle John know that Jesus was indeed a descendant of David and was indeed born in, Sunday school question one, Bethlehem. The very place that's in the prophecy to which these folk are referring Jesus faces this head on. Um, he, he doesn't say now, let me tell you about a stable and a star. He doesn't do that. He says, as we might put it, you are entirely missing the point. Perhaps he wants them to see that those details are not the test now. It's meeting and knowing Christ that matters. Jesus says, it's because you don't know God you don't really know me or where I am really from or indeed where I'm going because I'm sent by the one who is true. If you knew him, you would recognize me. And the Greek word translated true in the NRSV that we use can actually be translated as real. God really is the one who sent me says Jesus. He's saying, you don't know him, so you don't know me, but he really did send me. Some people kind of got it. Verse 31, look at the signs this man has done. Surely he must be the Messiah. No one could be more dramatic in their power than that. As one commentator puts it, uh, almost you fill with a bit of a sigh. Faith based on signs is better than nothing. But of course it's the significance of the signs showing Jesus truly to be the Christ that matters and that faith and understanding is needed by the believer. He is not a miracle worker in that sense. Even that half understanding of miraculous power was enough to rattle the Pharisees who tried again to arrest Jesus. And Jesus' response showed them and teaches us how his earthly ministry followed God's agenda, not the agenda of the world, a timing set by his father, not by the Pharisees or anyone else. In our passage, twice they tried to arrest him and twice it simply didn't happen. It isn't explained in Scripture but it reminds you of that other passage in the Gospels where Jesus just passed 
through them. I wonder what that looked like. They ought to be responding differently, obviously. What should they have been saying? When, they, when Jesus says he's going to him who sent him, what's the obvious question? Well, who sent you then? Help us to understand. Well, they don't. They just are determined not to. The challenge is too strong. And then they think, oh, well, he's going to be amongst the Greeks then, perhaps, the non-Jewish world, the, the diaspora, the Jews who fled and been moved and ended up in the other non-Jewish world. Perhaps that's what he means when he says he'll go somewhere that we won't be able to find. Well, we know that's full of irony, isn't it? I can almost hear the Apostle Paul chuckling at that one. Because, of course, where did the Gospel go? It began in Jerusalem, then in Samaria, and then the rest of the world, which is where the Greeks are. Many large gatherings have a big event uh, on the last day. The Feast of the Tabernacles was no different. Verse 37 refers to the last day of the festival, the great day, the day of final ceremonies. There was a well-known water-pouring rite that day. So Jesus aptly picks up on that water symbolism as he teaches in a declaration to those listening. He doesn't quietly speak to the disciples. He, so to speak, stands up in the company and declares this. It's a powerful picture. This water rite was thankfulness for two things. Uh, rain, as we might at a harvest festival, to be grateful for the rain, and, and we are grateful for rain, but also anticipating, looking forward, here's this journey again, for what we might call spiritual rain, blessing and deliverance poured out in the future when this messianic age comes that Zechariah prophesied. The water pouring out in that great final day of the festival, of course, is poured and gone, and there is no more until next year. The Saviour's giving another type of water. Thirst quenching. Zechariah said, on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And Isaiah, with you, with, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Great picture. As ever, John quickly explains to us that Jesus is there talking of the receipt by believers of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which by the time John's first readers read these verses had already come in dazzling splendor at Pentecost. So we are seeing here Jesus explaining that he is the fulfillment of God's promises. This is the answer to the question, I am the person you've been waiting for, I am. All those promises brought to a complete conclusion in a person sent by the Father. 
So that future deliverance that the Jews had been talking about, singing about, reading about, praying about, waiting for, had actually begun to arrive. That Feast of Tabernacles repeated again and again and again right in front of them was being fulfilled and they couldn't see it. John seems to be saying to us, if only they could have seen that this was all real. Don't look for an explanation that obscures the truth. Know the Father, know Jesus as Son and Christ. Drink from these springs of everlasting life. Earlier in the Gospel, John recorded for us Jesus' stunning meeting with the Samaritan woman at where? A well. Water again. Where Jesus said, those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the response there from the Samaritans, did they start a discussion about origins and places of birth and miracles and concepts of water and so on? No. Did they call for Jesus' arrest? Uh, No. They came to listen to Jesus. And many believed. We have heard for ourselves, they say to the woman. We don't need to believe because you have. We have heard and we know This is stunning. We know that this is truly the saviour of the world. Is this how some reacted back in Jerusalem at the climax of the festival when scales could fall from eyes and understanding could rush in? No. Some believed, hallelujah. Many just talked. And some sought to arrest him. Have times changed all that much? For us this morning, let us be challenged to know that we must declare the Christ. He has come. He is here. His Spirit is with us. Go out into the week and say to those you meet, as the Samaritan woman said, come and see. Come and see. Come and hear for yourselves, meet, listen to, and believe on the one who truly is the Christ. Amen.